Leonard. Sir. I was very quiet at dinner tonight because I was listening. I'm in the banking business, you know, and I'm called upon to have many business dinners. I find I can tell more about a man by listening to his dinner table conversation than by reading all the books and the records and the balance sheets in the world. I heard everything you said. Your feeling about the big cities, the clear air out here, the honest food, getting back to the soil. And I will tell you, quite honestly, I was very impressed. I'm very glad to hear that. I was very impressed. And I think I can also say, quite honestly, I have never heard such a crock of horseshit in my life. Sir, there's no deceit in the cauliflower. Where do you get ideas like that? They just, they just come into the New York head of yours? I was merely trying to impress the fact that it was a, a I, pleasure I see to through you. You don't think I see through you? You could wear two wool sweaters and a raccoon coat. I'd still see through you. to Stuff We've Seen. This is your host, James Kent. And here he is. He's back after all this time. But that's okay. He had a good, good excuse. He's been busy, hard at work, saving democracy by joining forces with the Cyber Ninjas to right the wrongs in Maricopa <laughs> County in Arizona. Here he is, Mr. Vote Teal. Don't you, don't you think they could have just hired a company with a better name or change i mean the fact that they're called cyber ninjas just makes immediately makes the whole thing embarrassing that's what makes it embarrassing <laughs> well no it's it, it, it it's embarrassing all i mean it's it's a travesty and a, just a it's a travesty of a mockery of a sham of a mockery of a travesty of two mockeries of a sham a, a, a disaster no matter how you cut it but cyber ninjas just makes it sound like something out of uh <laughs> you know uh one one of those minions movies or something. Well, it's a good thing that the Biden administration seems to have this well in hand and is uh, doing everything <laughs> in its power to stop the shenanigans, right? <laughs> Shh, don't tell Joe <laughs> that these things are happening because it's only democracy at stake. <laughs> well, we'll wake him up during the midterms and tell him what's, what's going on. <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> hey, uh, hello, people. Uh, this is the show. 
<laughs> yep, here we are. This is the show. This is the show. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Um, it seems like, I don't know, the last, since we've been doing this show, there was barely a week that would go by that some some celebrity in Hollywood's uh, <laughs> past uh, passed away, and we could have done a show a week uh, on just uh, celebrities of past. And so we don't know. But all. some of them we just don't care about. Yeah. I mean, and some people have like their bigger careers than others, but for some strange reason, it's the passing of certain folks that just kind of, I don't know, that just touch us in a certain way. Yeah. It kind of goes, just kind of grabs us back into our childhood for even maybe just like a couple of movies that meant a lot to us. Right. But but also just somebody who's been kind of a figure throughout our lives and particularly ones that I remember uh, as kids. Yeah. And I, I mean, not, I, I mean, when I was a kid. Yeah, not, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it almost ties into our childhoods and our memories of watching shows and movies. And, and that's what happened last week. And it's funny is that you you forget this. I mean, the guy was 86. Yeah. And it just shows you how old he, I guess, was when we saw him in movies, but he didn't look that old at the time. Right. But he had been acting for a long time before that. Yeah. And then, by the way, this is Charles Grodin we're talking about. Oh, yeah. We should mention <laughs> yeah, yeah. that. Charles Grodin. <laughs> uh, and he wasn't, you know, if you actually look at his resume, he didn't have a ton of uh, starring roles or even a ton of roles while we were growing up, but he had a few films that were just embedded into us um, growing up. Yeah. And uh, for a while, I guess for little kids, I was, I think, a little bit beyond the age that this movie. I didn't really like it. I'm going to just be honest. Was the Great Muppet Caper? <laughs> oh yeah, I did like the Great Mupp- Muppet Caper. I know you're uh, a fan of the the Caper. I'm a fan of the original movie, but well, I'm a huge fan of the. I mean, the Caper movie doesn't even come close to that. And I think I might maybe get a kick out of watching it uh, now, just because I think that what Charles Grodin was doing in that movie would probably strike me as funnier now. <laughs> yes, um, it is funny. And, uh, you know, my first real memories of him kind of happened in sort of a one-two punch. He was in two movies that yeah. were very close uh, to coming out around the same time. And one was Neil Simon's Seems Like Old Times. Yes. And then follow it up on that was uh, this movie with Lily Tallman, The uh, the Great Shrinking Woman or something. Incredible Shrinking Woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Saw, I saw it in the theater. Uh, what, The Incredible Shrinking Woman? Yes. Oh, absolutely. I saw it in the theater opening night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was very well. And I remember that because, again, I've said this before, my parents didn't take us to the movies at night too often. Right. But for whatever the reason, and maybe it was because we really liked Nine to Five with Lily Tomlin. My, my mom loved Lily Tomlin. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. my mom too. I mean, g- these generations, you know, they remember for laughing. And yeah. I, of course, remembered Lily Tomlin from either Sesame Street or Electric Company when she would show up on there. We all wanted to see it. So we went to the, the night show opening night <laughs> of uh, Incredible Swinking <laughs> Woman. And then I think I saw it a second time at the drive-ins. Oh, wow. Okay. It was like either playing as the second feature kind of thing. But, you know, Charles Grodin played sort of the husband role. I mean, he wasn't really a, like, it wasn't, it was the the side role. He didn't get to do he much was, Yes. Yeah. He's the husband, right? Yeah. And then it seems like old times, he had a similar role, but over the years, this movie, for whatever the reason, this was one of those staples in my family. Oh, where wow. We okay. were, not, I saw it by myself because I was a loser. <laughs> I saw it when I was like <laughs> 10 years old. I went to the movies by myself to see it. In the first That's run. pathetic. Yeah. I, totally pathetic. Thanks a lot. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, but I wanted to see it, right? 
And then I thought it was so great that I can convinced my mom when it came into the second run theaters, we went and saw it with my grandma. And then it was one of those movies that they used to always pair up at the drive-ins. And I think we saw seems like old times, like four or five extra times at the drive-ins. I don't think I've ever seen it. No, come on. With, with Goldie Hawn and Chevy Chase. It's the greatest. Okay. Yeah. You know what? I saw it on VHS like in 83 or something. Well, so this isn't going to mean much to you, but over the years, even though Chevy Chase was the reason my family and I went to see it so many times and and sort of the the great sort of uh, dynamic between him and Goldie Hawn. Yeah. It's Charles Grodin who has the lines that have lived on for years in my family. Oh, interesting. And oh. there's this one thing that goes on. It's really, and it's funny, as, as you watch a lot of Neil Simon, you know, you can tell certain things that are very Neil Simon-y. Right. And there's this whole thing where Chevy Chase is on the run. He's accused of robbing this bank that these other guys forced him to rob. He had been in trouble with the law before. He's the ex-husband of Goldie Hawn. He goes to her seeking help because she's like a defense attorney. But her husband, Ira, who's played by Charles Grodin, he is a prosecutor. And he wants to be district attorney. It's coming back to me now. And the governor wants to make him district attorney. However, it's complicated because right now her ex-husband, Chevy Chase, is on the loose. Right. And there's this thing where Chevy Chase is always hiding under the beds and stuff. And it's causing a bit of a rift between Charles Grodin and Goldie Hawn's marriage. And through all that, the governor is going to come to his house for a visit and make him the district attorney uh, or attorney general, something like that. Yeah, the right. Attorney general. And I think he was the district attorney. But he's going to make him the attorney general. Just got to clarify. <laughs> okay. So okay. his favorite meal, the governor's, <laughs> is this meal called chicken pepperoni. And <laughs> the housekeeper, Aurora, needs to make the chicken pepperoni, but she can't because she's having her feet scraped. What? <laughs> Which is in the note because she gives the Goldie Hawn. She's like, I've got to go and get my feet scraped. And so then she has to tell him, Charles Grodin, that she can't make the chicken pepperoni. And he's flipping out, right? He's on the phone. And uh, and there's nothing quite so great as Charles Grodin flipping out. Yes. As I discovered from, from a, a movie that's legendary that I just watched in the past week. Um, and then I see him like the genesis of all this Grodin flipping out stuff. So he's in his office. And uh, what's the guy who played Benson on – on uh, that show, Benson. Oh, oh Guillaume, yeah. right? Robert Guillaume. Robert Guillaume. Yeah. Robert Guillaume's is like is his buddy in the movie, and he's listening, and he's on the phone telling his wife, "He's like, we'd be a lot safer with your husband on the loose if we have chicken pepperoni." He's like, "We," <laughs> and and he's like, "Cause Glenda, please try to make it." And so she's on the phone. She's like, "I don't know. I can't read all this instructions are in Spanish." And he's like, "He's like, honey." We need chicken pepperoni and we need it bad. <laughs> and then the then the governor's on the next line and he goes, Hi governor. And he goes like, Ah yes, Aurora's chicken pepperoni. I know how you love it. We'll see you at seven. <laughs> and he hangs up the phone and he looks over at Benson and Benson looks at him and he goes, Love that chicken pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> and what and the hell was, is chicken pepperoni? I don't know. I was obsessed with it for years. As a kid, I'd always say out loud, love that chicken pepperoni. <laughs> and uh, I'm cracking my mom up with it for years. So I decided to invent a chicken pepperoni recipe once and made okay. it for my mom and the family. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I made it. Basically, it's chicken with like a pepperoni sauce, like a pe- 
chunks okay. of pepperoni in it. Uh, but so like, I mean, and everything that Charles Grodin does in that movie is really, it's comic genius. I really need to see it again. Oh, it, it's hard. It's not one of those that shows up very often anymore. And you can't even find clips of it on the internet because I would love to do oh. as an opening of the show. I'd love to have the chicken pepperoni. But then, of course, the movie after that, that really like kind of introduced him to people in a whole new way, which I yeah. think was a film that I, at the time, I thought he was a slam dunk for an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. And then he didn't get nominated was his role in Midnight Run. So I was trying to think about this. Like, when did, at what point did I know his name? Well, I knew it from basically around then because then the Muppet, because after Seems Like Old Times, the Muppet Caper came out and he played one of the robbers. Yeah. I mean, but definitely by the time Midnight Run came out, I was like, oh, it's Charles Grodin. Yeah. And then he was in, like, we saw him in um, The Lonely Guy. I was just going to mention the lonely guy. <laughs> the lonely I, I guy. love the lonely guy. Yeah, that's a great one. So he's it's in the a, lonely guy. Yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a hilarious movie. And then of course you. Pro- so this is another thing too. He's a celebrity that, like Terry Gar, she was in these movies. But what made her and him special was they performed as these really types of versions of themselves on the David Letterman show. Oh, yes. Remember Groden would pretend oh. to be just uber cranky and not didn't think anything that Dave said was funny? Yes. He was oh, I'd forgotten the about that. That was yeah, how I loved Groden was like, this guy is hilarious. And he did this whole straight, grumpy, straight man act. But he never, he never deviated from it. No, 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 no. He would not break character at all. And so that's when I started to just really love the guy. That's right. Oh, I'd forgotten about those. Yeah. So I was totally aware of that. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so Midnight Run, I was excited. I was like, Groden and De Niro. I went opening day and I got, uh, uh, you know, at the theater, if you're there for the first shows, sometimes they have the little uh, promo items. There was promo items involved? Yes. You got some Midnight Run. I got a handcuff keychain. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Pair of handcuffs uh, that with a little tag that says Midnight Run. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, yeah. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh, yeah, we, I used to go on the first matinee on Friday just so I could get the promo item. Yeah, my theater didn't do too many promo items. Gotta say. You know, you gotta be at the, you know, they would only have a hundred of them, say, you know, so they'd go pretty quick. And you know, I haven't seen midnight run in 30 years i've seen parts um his performance is still so great yeah yeah i mean i i, I did see it again after i saw it in the theater i saw it a couple times on video but well when he has to go in there they don't have any money they've lost all their money and they have to go into that bar and, and they have to pretend like that they're from the uh the the bureau of investigation for uh counterfeiting mm-hmm. and Groden pretends he's like some FBI agent and he's checking the things called the litmus configuration. He's like, <laughs> That's these, right. These the litmus configuration. <laughs> and so then I find out, and I just found this out. So there's one movie in his filmography that's very famous. Uh, it's sort of like put him on the map. It's his first leading role. It's the Heartbreak Kid. Yes. And it was like Nats and Neil Simon uh, wrote the screenplay and Elaine May directed it. It was the second of only four movies she ever directed. And it was like an independent movie. So like it's been caught up in various like purchases of different distributors and studios. And so basically it's languished in that it's not really gotten the type of sort of restoration and streaming deals. And it's very hard to find. Yeah. 
but I watched it. Yeah, and? Did you see it? No, I didn't see it. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, and I have seen the 2007 Farrelly Brothers remake. <laughs> With Ben Stiller. Yeah, and it is a, that's a fairly faithful, like, kind of up, update of the film. Okay, interesting. Um, but there's a lot going on in this Heartbreak Kid movie. Now, is it, is it, it's Neil Simon. Is it based on a play? No, it's based on an idea by this guy, uh, something just Jay Friedman or something. And uh, he wrote like an article in like 66, sort of like a short story. And, oh, okay. But uh, there are things that Elaine May does in this. Well, wait, well, sorry, one more question. Is the, so Neil Simon wrote the script. Is the remake based on his script or is it completely new it's been re It's been rewritten, but he's still, uh, Simon still gets a credit on it. Right, okay. And you know, it is very Neil Simon-y. And it's funny, I, I, I just finished reading this biography about Mike Nichols mm-hmm. and it's got a lot in it about him and Elaine May. So I'm kind of right. very fascinated by Elaine May and it also talks a lot about Neil Simon because Nichols directed all of these Neil Simon plays. So watching this, you know, Neil Simon, sometimes he's a little too cute for his own good. Yeah. Yeah. He's kind of corny. and Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Neil Simon also wrote the screenplay for Seems Like Old Times. And so, again, Grodin is just an actor who's very well suited to the Simon material. Interesting. And there are some scenes in this movie, Heartbreak Kid, that Grodin gets to do. One of those is almost a takeoff of what he did in Midnight Run, where he has to, like, there's these, like, thuggy kids that are kind of bullying him and he turns the tables and and he suddenly pretends to be an investigator and he pulls this whole routine and it's he this i mean there's things that he does in this movie that are so great that only groden could pull off right and he was actually the runner-up and i don't think he wanted the role or something he was kind of offered it but he didn't take it but he was the runner-up to play um benjamin in the graduate that would have been that would have worked it would have. I think they thought he was a little, I mean, already that Hoffman was 30 is too old, is that Grodin, this guy would have been like 32 when The Graduate right. came out. Yeah. He got a late start. So like even in the, I think that the one knock I have on The Heartbreak Kid is that he looks young, but he's like 35, 36 in the movie. Okay. And he's a little too old for the character. Well, it's another weird thing is how people in age is so different back in 1972 because Sybil Shepard is- in it. And she's really good. In, in her, the knock on her was always that she wasn't the greatest actress. Right. But I think Elaine May really knew how to direct her well. And she's only 21 in the movie, and she looks like she's in her 30s. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Wow. And Elaine May's daughter, played by, uh, it, it, who is uh, this actress, uh, Jenny Breslin, or Jeannie Breslin, she's been in a lot of stuff lately. She's kind of had like this second career where people have discovered her and put her into things. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. I like her a lot. Uh, she was only like 23 at the wow. time. And she looks like she's 30. It's just so funny okay. how people looked older back then. Uh, but Jeannie Breslin was nominated for supporting actress for this movie. Oh, wow. And she is fantastic. It's a comic performance, but there's a scene in the movie that is um, is, there's, a, like, there's like two or three scenes in this film that are so incredibly well directed from an acting standpoint right? that it's just worth watching. I mean, there's a scene that Charles Grodin has to address Sybil Shepard's parents mm-hmm. at this dinner at a, at a nightclub. And the way it's framed and shot, and it's like a four-minute 
one take sequence. Oh, wow. Okay. The direction and the acting performances of all the actors involved is fantastic. Interesting. So she was just really good at working with actors, too. Yeah, because, I mean, this was a lot from her time working with Mike Nichols when they did yeah. their act. And if you read this book, you really get a, a real good sense of how that history evolved um, and their, their time basically in the formation of Second City in Chicago. Right. I thought it was a pretty good movie. It's a little dated. you know. <laughs> it's definitely dated. And it's also very – it becomes very apparent that you realize, wow – through most of movie cinema history, it's always the man's story. Even directed by a woman, right? Even directed by a woman. It's this guy and it's, you know, his dealing with getting married by mistake and then falling in love with somebody on his honeymoon. And it's still about this man's journey. Right. And his development as a character. Yeah. But I, but I liked it. I'm happy I saw it. But I think you're right. That's a good point that the history of film is largely the history of male stories. So, you, so you're a fan of Charles Grodin, yet it doesn't seem like you've seen any of his movies except for The Great Muppet Caper. Wait, what are you talking like, about? Well, you saw it seems like all times you can't remember it. And then, you know. I you, saw Sh- Incredible Shrinking Woman. Oh, Incredible woman. Shrinking I've, Woman, too. I've yes. seen The Lonely Guy. The lonely I've seen. Guy. Yeah. I've seen The Couch Trip. I've seen Ishtar. Oh, well, that's Ishtar. right. He's seen The Couch Trip and Ishtar. He's the best part of Ishtar, by the way. Yeah. I've seen Midnight Run. I've seen Taking Care of Business. Did you see that? Um, see, we saw it together in the okay, apartment. Good. We rented it. Yes. Isn't that the one with the missing Philo facts? Yes. <laughs> in James Belushi, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the one. Yeah. yeah we uh, were in a kick of watching these like, uh, like high-concept comedies, we called them. And but also it was like the reason I wanted to see that was because of Charles Grodin. That's right. Is he was he the stuck up businessman? Right. Yeah. Loses his file facts. Right. Exactly. And then of course, Beethoven. And then of course Beethoven. <laughs> I've I've seen that. So see, I've I've seen. Have you some seen Charles- the Beethoven movies? Yes. Well, I saw the first I've one. I've never anyway. seen it. No, I saw. I've seen both of them. They were yep. playing at the movie theater when I worked there, like in college, but I never saw them. Yeah, I uh, I've seen both of those, and he was in Catch Twenty Two, by the way. So Nichols, because he couldn't cast him in The Graduate, after all, right? Did put him in Catch Twenty Two. Yeah, yeah. So Grodin didn't do much after the mid nineties. I mean, you know what? If you look at his credits, he did. You know, he he popped up here and there, but no, his film career, he kind of, you know, he's got he's got a credit. He's got a bunch of credits in the early nineties. Yeah, and that's almost thirty years ago. He has one in 94 and then not another one until 2006. Yeah. Weird. Yeah. So I don't, you know, I don't really know much on the history, but he's a guy that uh, I enjoyed his droll humor. Yes. Um, oh, he was also in King Kong, the 1976. Yes. Yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> I've seen Heaven Can Wait. Oh, well, and Heaven Can Wait. Right. And that's classic because there, yeah. that is Buck Henry and yes. Warren Beatty, but N- uh, Lane May did- what she's done throughout her history, she she ghosts uh, screenplays, so she helped. Oh, she okay. gets screenplays that aren't working, uh, and, and she polishes them. them. Yeah, she's yeah. a great polisher. So she and she doesn't want credit. So good or bad, she likes the paycheck, but she does not want any credit. She never fights for uh, credit. Interesting. And so like she spent months and months and probably did like five or six drafts of Reds, but she's not on the. She's not on the screen credit, but she's like basically the main writer of Reds. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's why one of the reasons why Warren Beatty did Ishtar for her. 
Because he owed her from Red. Because he owed her from Red. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, Ishtar just makes me sad. I have not finished it yet. Yeah, I know we, we, we just, it's it's really, it, basically, it's comedy that's just too old. It doesn't yeah. work for that time. And also, Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty, they're just not the right, they're, they're totally miscast. They're totally miscast. And- yeah, like I mean, like a Ryan Reynolds and somebody else now it might be. Kind it's of funny. a little. I mean, I, I the beginning of the movie I think is kind of funny with like their little act. Mm, sort of. There's this thing where they have to go to like a bar mitzvah or something, and yes. or somebody's dying or something, and they say this line. It was really funny, but then there's some there's some awful really uncomfortable bad sexist things that happen in this movie that are just. They just don't work. But it man. just makes me sad because it's such a disaster and it destroyed Elaine May's career. It really did. Or maybe it just soured her on ever saying, you know, she, if you, if you look at her whole career, uh, the four films she made, the first one, she had a terrible experience with the new leaf. Yeah. And uh, that's a great movie. I, I, I only, it's funny. This is like, this will probably get cut out because this is going to be the third time I've talked about it on the show twice <laughs> with Bill or something. I always edit it out. Um, <laughs> But I watched it because it was on Criterion for a couple of months. Yeah. And it's a film that they took her, they took it away from her in the editing room and they turned it into a much smaller movie and they cut out the main plot and had to re canoodle things so that it would work without this sort of murderous subplot in it. Did they do, um, did they reshoot anything or it was just all in editing? All in editing. And it looks wow. like, and, and I, I, when I watched it, I felt like there was some bad dubbing in the movie. Right. And I thought, well, maybe Elaine May didn't understand how to do things on set, but I think they actually had to dub in dialogue to make yeah. it work. I think you're, that's exactly what they did. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, so, you I mean, she had a very mis- uh, unfortunate uh, directing career, but she's, you know, she's sporadically shown up uh, acting wise and she did a whole lot of writing. Um, and then she got well. She got actually credit for and a nomination for Primary Colors, which she oh, that's right, yeah, wrote for Mike Nichols. And she also uh, the Birdcage. She wrote. That's right. Okay. Again, refreshed my memory because I just finished reading the book by Mark Harris on Mike Nichols. And then she has that. She did that Woody Allen movie. She was amazing in that. And she's incredible. Yeah, small time crooks. It's a great. She's a really funny comic performer, and she's great in a New Leaf. She actually is the 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 main woman in that. Um, and so okay. she's really good. And then her daughter, uh, Jeannie uh, Breslin. You got to yeah. see Heartbreak Kid and watch what a great performer she is. Okay, interesting. Yeah, gotta check that out. I will check it out. Yeah, there's some classic Groden stuff in there. I don't even want to get into it, but it's hilarious. I love Groden. I'm sad. Uh, uh, you know, he had a great career, though, and lived a long life. So He lived long and he prospered. He did. <laughs> and, he, and he brought lots of laughs to people. Yeah. Uh, so now for all you young listeners who are like, why have they spent 20 minutes of the show talking about this old guy? I don't even know. Well, you know what? You got to brush up on your filmography. You do. Yeah. And he's, uh, yeah, just, he was a great presence in film for a few decades there. Yeah. And, you know, and since there hasn't been a lot to uh, talk about new movie-wise. Um, oh, man. Been a so, little bit of a dearth. My theater is playing movies. I don't have a theater anymore that's playing movies. They are still shut down. Okay. Mine is open and playing movies, but I'm not, uh, I'm not going to go see Spiral. I have never seen a Saw movie. I have seen the first one. Those are not movies I I don't want to see torturey movies. I they're just not it's just not my thing. I saw the first one and it had one good twist. 
uh, that surprised me. So I saw uh, I saw on HBO Max that uh, Angelina Jolie offering. Oh, you saw that? That's oh, right. Was, you watched that? What? Tell me about it. It was bad. Why? Well, I, <laughs> I mean, it was just bad. It was just. <laughs> Who directed it? I felt like it was the kind of it. Well, that's the thing is it's the uh, it's the guy that did uh, Snow River, and he and he wrote uh, Hell or High Water. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah. So this, I don't know, maybe something got muckied up in the production, but it's just, it's really awful. (laughs) Yeah. And so it's like she's on the run or something. No, she's like part of this firefighting group in Montana or something. And she's sort of suffering post-traumatic stress over the fact that there was uh, they misjudged a drop and then a, then a big blaze and there was some like kids got burnt up in a fire or something. So, you know, so she sort of has a death wish, but that's not really explored too well. Then somewhere on the other side of the country, there's some guy, it's kind of like the movie Gloria where somebody's escaping the mob or something. Uh-huh. And then a kid and, you know, the kid gets away and then someone has to take care of the kid. Uh, that's what it felt like. And so then there's these two unknown assassin guys that are played by, two British people or Irish people being American. <laughs> um, you know, it's like uh, Baelish there in uh, Littlefinger from uh, right. from uh, the Game of Thrones there. And then um, this other actor, Nicholas Holt. Some reason, they're both playing American assassin guys. And <laughs> they are on the hunt and they go after them the, the other guys know somebody in montana so he's going there and then uh you know they stop him but the kid gets out and then runs into angelina jolie and then these guys are uh, afterwards and it's just you know it kind of goes like that and then of course then they set the woods ablaze and all sorts of crazy things happen that make no sense and there's no, and then suddenly tyler perry shows up as sort of the man behind the man uh <laughs> but we don't know why like we still don't ever learn why why are they why were they after this other guy in the first place it's just weak and then tyler perry never shows back up again so we don't even know what's going on afterwards so this was a script problem or an editing thing yeah, like i think it was a script problem yeah and it wow. was just a film that like you really left going why are they why do they make this it, i we all hated it uh, or we my wife and i we just thought it was terrible i had considered watching it but yeah it was very boring couldn't wait till it was over I will not be watching it. So I saw that. Um, and then, the, I mean, I think the only other movie I was waiting for, I was kind of excited, maybe only in this post, this sort of pandemic world of like, right. can't see movies in the theater. So, hey, Netflix, you're going to give me a movie about zombies? Army okay. of the Dead? Zack Snyder? Sure. Well, and I just, you know, we, we had just gone through the Snyder cut yep. of Justice League, which I enjoyed. And I was like, hey, maybe Snyder's... You know, I have this love-hate thing with Snyder. I love to hate him. No, I'm just <laughs> I love to hate him, but some, you know, like Sucker Punch is a terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, you're right. It is. <laughs> it is a terrible, terrible movie, and yet somehow I enjoy it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go popping it in uh, streaming, but I would watch it again for sure. Yes. Yeah, I, I've seen it twice, I think. You know, he does some great visuals, and there's some really fun action set pieces. Uh, the movie around them is just awful, but I, I, and even 300, like I love to hate that movie. Yeah. But there's some fun visuals, but there's some fun visuals and it's, it can be a, a delight to the eye say. 
I'm looking for some throwaway entertainment and a zombie in a heist movie thrown into a zombie. That sounds fun, right? That sounds fun. Yeah. And then you look at the running time. Oh, two and a half hours. I know. Yeah. That's a little, that's a little Snydery. It, uh, it's a little much for a movie with that premise. Yeah. I was a little concerned about that. And then of course, after watching it, my concerns were, were realized, um, I feel like this time, though, I mean, all the things that I, from a visual standpoint that I like about Snyder were completely gone. Exactly. Exactly. I thought it was more like channeling Michael Bay. It was almost like by Michael Bay toned down, made this It was movie. toned down. And and Snyder did the cinematography himself. Yeah. And I, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think it's, I think the cinematography is pretty horrible. It's awful. Like it's muddy. It's blurry in spots. It's. He does this thing where he has almost no depth of field. Yeah. And so like even sometimes like an actor's nose will be out of focus and their eyes are in focus. Well, so this is an interesting thing. I think that if you've been around the sets and from a technical standpoint, he's been around enough that he knows. And with today's cameras and he's shooting yeah. digital for the first time, he was always right. film that he knows enough that he can shoot the film. Mm -hmm. But. It also is a thing that you step back and you really appreciate what a cinematographer does when you see a movie yes. shot like this. It doesn't look sure. It looks like you know professional and, and and what have you, but there's just some things missing as far as like little things in the lighting and the framing. And there's not a lot of depth to it. The framing is pretty lazy, sort of across the board. I mean, again, I, I actually think that. Had I not known that he shot this film, I would have found myself looking up saying, who shot this? Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I, yeah, I saw his name in the credits and I was kind of like, oh, well, this could be interesting. Yeah. I did not like the look of it. I hated the look of it. And uh, the look never changed. Like every scene is shot exactly the same way with no variation, no no changes based on the content of the scene. Everything is exactly the same. Particularly, I mean, some of the action is fine, but like when there's scenes of just people talking to each other, Ooh. oh my God, it's unbearable. Yeah, this is where, again, a two-hour, two I mean, I, maybe a 90-minute type. It should have been a 90-minute movie. Because I, it, 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 I kept checking the clock because it, it was it was. 50 minutes into this movie before they go into Vegas. Yeah. And I like the first 15 minutes. Definitely Me hooked too. you. Really I great. was into the first 15 minutes. He did, he did that with Watchmen. Great 15 minutes. <laughs> uh, I it was it. a great 15 minutes. And I thought, oh, cool. I'm in for this. This is going to be fun. And then it just became this horrible chore. Oh, yeah. And of course, it all, I mean, there's so many... I know that there's been a few people I read on Twitter that came out already like, this is a great movie, right? Before anybody got to see it. Right. And then they're like doing this whole like defensive, like, why do people hate on this movie so much? Can't people <laughs> just enjoy a film? It's like, look, you know what? The movie, it's not that I, I, I didn't go in. I was going in excited to watch it. And if anything, I was looking for a good, fun B-movie action zombie romp. Look, th this is not a good movie. All right. That's just the bottom line is this movie is not good. The thing is, there's actually nothing good about it. There, there, yeah. There's not like. So I was thinking about this uh, while I was watching it is character crushes. 
do you have a little crush on a character and not necessarily romantically, but sort of like this character is fun and I want to watch them do this. And I'm kind of, uh, you know, falling for their charm and charisma, uh, of a character and you're, and you kind of become attached to a character. Uh, and it's particularly important in, uh, you know, horror and action films. It's mm. like, you know, Tom Cruise, do you have a little Tom Cruise crush while you're watching a mission impossible movie? Yeah, you probably do. Right. <laughs> right. Cause just cause he's charismatic and magnetic to watch. Yeah. And, and this army of the dead movie, there was not a, well, there's one character that maybe I could stretch on this, but basically not a single character had any interest for me whatsoever. I had no character crush. I had nobody that I wanted to see how their story resolved. I had nobody that I wanted to see kill zombies. The thing is that if this is going to be really a truly low budget, then you get completely 100% unknowns. Yes. But this felt, it was, I don't, I don't know what list character you got the main, you know, you got David Batista, So he was like yeah. your big name. And then you had all these other people that they just could care less about. They weren't interesting. Um, you Like you said, you couldn't crush on anybody. No. And they all felt a little bit like Michael Bay characters. I know we haven't got a chance to talk about one of the worst which movie we... experiences I've ever seen in my life, which was this <laughs> underground, uh, six, six underground. underground. But you know what? As much as I hated that movie, and I mean, I hated it so much that I really want to go through the entire film with you. We're going to. Because- because I think you're going to laugh at just the things that I found so hor horrific about that movie. <laughs> However, I will give it one thing, even though it's the worst, just yeah. terrible movie. It knew exactly what it was wanted to be. Yes. And, it, 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 and no like, bones about it. Yeah. And actually, as much as I just thought it was ridiculous, its line of characters, which wasn't such dissimilar to this group. Right. They were far more interesting. They were far more interesting, and I kind of I kind of liked them, and at least I wanted to watch them. Well, David Batista's kind of almost too serious. He wasn't any fun. He's not any fun. Uh, yeah, and 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 the daughter plotline, as as my wife put it, the subplot, oh it ruins God. the whole movie. It's terrible because it was ridiculous. Yes, it makes no sense. Yeah, that's totally ridiculous. But that's where it fell into a trap. By its own plot. Yes. Well, but then it has like the scenes, the father-daughter scenes where it's just the two of them Horrible. Talking. Uh, it just unbelievably bland, flat, boring, insipid, uninspired, awful. And then the nuclear bomb timeline, right, is moved up suddenly. Yes. But yet nobody seems to be panicked about that. Right. No, they're like, okay, we got now, we got 90 minutes till the bomb goes off. Well, well yeah, it'll, it'll be okay. And you know what? There's so, I mean, there's so much that I could nitpick and I will, I'm going to, but let's start <laughs> off with this, the fact of zombie movies in general. Yeah. And it seems zombie movies seem to get away with a lot as an excuse saying, well, you know, it's zombies, so we can do whatever we want. Right. But then I really, <laughs> my issue with these zombie movies are, is that- I get really stuck on the science behind the zombies. I do too. I'm like, okay, so you're inhaling aer aerosolized blood. Yeah. And, but you're fine. But if you get bitten, so then they have to have like venomous teeth or something. Well, so that, this is the whole thing I, I always have about zombie movies in that, sure, 
it's a zombie movie. So you always have to suspend sure. you know, yeah, yeah. a little and, disbelief and, there. And, and the whole thing is sort of allegorical. It, you know, I mean, like the zombies as metaphor, like I'm willing to like have a little more suspension of disbelief because I because it's a silly premise. But right? I always get stuck on the fact of like, well, zombies are derived from humans. And so the physiology of humans, right? What you're saying is somehow you get bit by a thing, right? Yeah. And now you're infected, okay? And X amount of timeline, you, I guess, die, but now you come back. But I always like to say, well, what, what's the actual science behind what could a human <laughs> actually come back as? And then suddenly, okay, well, so somehow your heart's not working, but you're, you're able to move and yeah. yet, how is the science of that work? And then you're moving like you're suddenly got super strength and you can yeah. run and then your bite is stronger than a bite would have been when you were a normal human. How does this all work? Then this movie takes it a step further. Now, yeah, now they have these like specialized zombies. Yeah, special zombies who can think. And it was ridiculous. And there's too many characters in this movie. Like their team is way too big. I mean, I know they're you know they're the people are expendable, but uh, the the only character I was had any interest in at all was the safe cracker. He was somewhat interesting. Uh, yeah. I guess there's a good Ger a guy who does a lot of movies in Germany, and that was okay. I'm just I'm just trying to pick for anything that about this movie that was at, at all positive, and I, and I. Yeah, and then the other thing that kept throwing me off was the replaced actor. Well, okay, so Tig Notaro plays this pilot, and I don't, I mean, you know, my my wife was cheering her on every time a little bit. I think she was overdoing it, just in that she was so thrilled for Tig Notaro's taking over from that awful, you know, right. Me Too guy. I don't even remember that guy's name. And I don't know who He would have been yeah. just another one of those, by the way, no-name people that, was going to be not interesting to look at in a exactly movie. Yeah. and it does question Zack snyder and that that's what that's what he needed for that role was some another guy when 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 he went to replace he made a better choice he made a better choice that he should yeah. have done in the beginning but and i don't necessarily think that it's her fault but her performance is bad acting but she's doing like jar jar bing she's acting to nobody She's acting to nobody. I saw a thing or I read a thing with her where she said she was starting to feel like she was the star of the movie. I read that. That was interesting. Yeah. And then it turned out that she was just like blurry background shots for a lot of it. Well, so there was a couple of scenes. And again, this is what's tough, right? Would I have looked at the performance differently had I say not known that she was inserted into the movie? Maybe. But the thing is, it looks at times, it looks like. She's in, it looks digitally manipulated. The, there's a time that she's reacting to something and it looks yes. like somebody who's behind nothing but green screen reacting and making an over enthusiastic gesture because the director said, now I want you to do this. And you have no context as an actor for like, how is that too big? Is it, how does it fit with the rest of the movie? There's no way to know. And I mean, not just her performance, but the movie overall is incredibly uneven in terms of tone. Like again, it's amazing like that they made it look like she was in the movie with all these other actors. Yeah, as it's much probably as they the did. it's probably the best version of that possible. But it also took me right back into the late '90s, early 2000s, when George Lucas thought that he could just start digitally putting things in with real actors and that it would all look seamless and he he basically 
tricked himself into believing that when the reason <laughs> the acting in the prequels is so bad is because the technology hadn't really come around to where these actors even knew what they were looking at. And a lot of times it doesn't look like they're looking at anybody. Well, also, I think Lucas just has no interest in getting good performances. Yeah, maybe not. But I also think from an actor standpoint, I mean, what's going on now, one of the things that makes uh, the uh, Mandalorian so successful is they're employing new technology that now – Basically, like when you used to have a matte painting for your background, they are digitally projecting in 3D an entire set around. So the actors have like, you know, the physical pieces that they might have on stage. And then they beam in this beautiful new simulation and they get to act in an environment that looks as real as so they it does actually to have us. like big rear projection screens. Yeah, but it's like even newer technology. It's three dimensional, so like you will have things beamed. I'm gonna have to look into this. This is crazy. On the, it, it's crazy because they're still shooting on a studio, right? But it is so realistic looking. But not only for us to see it looks realistic. It's realistic for the actors there, so they look like they're in a desert. And when they're acting, they're not just in a in a studio with green screen anymore. So I've been watching uh, just on this uh, this little rabbit hole you just opened. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of Marvel movies. Yeah, why is that? <laughs> uh, why? Are you because doing that my too? daughter my daughter wanted to see them. which one, the oldest or the youngest? The oldest. Okay. So she. I don't know. She got it in her head. She wanted to watch Iron Man. Okay. And so we we have been going in timeline order. Of course. And I think I think we have three. I think we have three left. Like so, like the, the the two Avenger ones. The two Avenger ones and one other one. Uh, oh, and Guardians of the Galaxy two. Okay. Yeah, that's that's what we have. And left. you've seen all of those before, anyway. I had right? seen. I, I had not seen. Ant-Man and Wasp. Oh, you finally saw that. Finally saw that. Did, now, do you agree that's one of the worst ones? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> I kind of feel the same way about all of them. I mean, definitely I could rank them. Some are better than others, but they're all just kind of okay. Hmm. So I was watching um, Thor Ragnarok. I know there's like a lot of people love it. I think it's just too goofy. I like the goofiness. I didn't mind that. Uh, I'm willing to go with that. I I think it's kind of a fun movie. It's one of the better ones, in my opinion. So I'm about 10 minutes into the movie, and there's this scene on Asgard. And Thor and Loki are talking to each other. And for some reason, I saw... It it, it just suddenly looked to me like they were all cutouts. And like there's Thor talking and there's some people huddled behind him and then there's a green screen and I could just tell that like him and the people behind him were not even in the same green screen. Oh, it was a composite shot. It it was a composite shot and then it would cut to Loki and there was something off about the lighting of the actors Mm -hmm. and the lighting of the set. Yeah. Suddenly I was like, they have no sets. There's there's nothing physical there. They're just standing in front of a green screen. And then the performances started to look kind of weird and I couldn't unsee it. And I spent the rest of the movie trying to ignore the fact that there are no sets. And it's like, okay, the chair is the throne is real. 
say, but everything else is totally digital. And I could tell, and I, it was very hard to unsee it. So when I watched Ant-Man and Wasp soon after that, I was relieved that there were so many sets in the movie. Right. Because they're just like somebody's apartment, right? So it's <laughs> they, right. So it may have been on a studio, but at least it's like physical set. It, at least it's a physical set. Yeah, it's probably in a studio, but at least it's a physical set. Whereas several of these things in Thor Ragnarok, I was, and, and and I'm not talking about the big special effects scenes, right? That's a whole different thing when you're doing like a big battle scene with explosions and like I'll I'll accept that. But when it's just two people talking and it looks like they're not anywhere real it's like an uncanny valley of the backgrounds well it's like you know you find out that um the father the anthony hopkins an entire thing was a studio and a green screen it was no i'm kidding oh okay <laughs> you know that was my complaint about it being a set um, right yeah no that was at least a real set <laughs> but at least it's a real set and so they can like walk through doors and interact with it physically and stuff and move around in the space and that's what i realized is a lot of these scenes in the marvel movie they're not actually moving in the space yeah and most audiences don't even care or notice it was more noticeable on my projector than it was on my like 32 inch tv interesting because i brought I, I i fast forwarded through it again because i was trying to find some scenes so i could tell you to watch a specific scene or two but i couldn't find them again you watched the whole thing of the falcon and winter soldier right i did i think there's only six episodes thank god I I, i'm watching now the first two and yeah i mean i'm gonna watch the next four but it's really hard for me to really give two craps about it <laughs> i'll be honest so why is that do you think well because i mean the, here's this is where it boils down they're trying to raise some interesting social issues in the show yeah but in terms of comic book characters and ultimately i don't necessarily care about the deep inner working society aspects in the lens of superhero movies mm. you know what i mean like like, I mean, it's right. sort of interesting that the idea is that the Falcon kind of works with the government but doesn't have enough money to, like, pay for a business loan or something. Right. Or that uh, the Baltimore cops are going to, like, get get all uh, bad on him until they just recognize who he is. Like the idea right, that, right. Um, I think those are some interesting stuff, but ultimately it's all wrapped up still in comic book characters where are there these ridiculous action scenes that uh, as we were talking about with the zombie movies i i'm like caught with the fact that this some of the stuff they're doing defies physics yes that falcon suit defies physics yeah it does things that i'm like how does that that just doesn't make any sense and that even with so he's wearing that he'd still get hurt a little bit <laughs> and so it does uh, well know, like it yeah i mean but if you're gonna go that far then it's like iron man would just be pulp inside a suit i know but you know what's so funny is that for some reason maybe because he's completely in the suit i always it was easier to stretch what iron man could do than what the falcon guy does i don't know it just i'm not <laughs> buying it um and then you know then this like again i feel like the action scenes are really poor um even though the overall production quality the production quality like is i thought was uh, on on that opening in the first episode the opening action sequence yeah i thought the effects were good again it's not about whether the effects are good or not it's whether or not it all kind of makes sense so it's whether or not you care yeah i mean i liked wandavision to a point I, I mentioned, and you finally saw the whole thing of that, right? I just finished. This has been part of my Marvel binge over the last month. All the movies, all the shows. 
I haven't really gotten any really good prestige TV lately, except, of course, Mayor of Easttown. You have been watching that. Oh, my God. I love this show. I love (laughs) it. Now, I understand you love it for campy reasons, but... Is there something good about it too? Well, yeah, I mean, it's actually kind of, it's gotten kind of juicy and, and, and there's been some good stuff in it too. I don't know. There's something a little bit fun about it. There actually is. There is humor in the show. Okay. But it's just that Kate Winslet, you know, who's British and she made a career of like doing various degrees of success, American accents. Yeah. She gets to play this, like, does this Pennsylvania sort of South Philly-ish accent, and it's kind of <laughs> hilarious. It You know, because not that, that there's not some people that talk like that, but right. it's not 100% the accent, and you never buy for a second that she really is from there. That's pretty funny. But, again, and there's a murder mystery. It's a, To me, it's way better than that awful Amy Adams one that they had, Sharp Objects, from a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. I didn't watch that. That was terrible. Uh, this one, at least, you know, it kind of focuses on the mystery and unsolving it. And, it's you know, there's a lot of complexities going on. Um, but last two episodes have been really, really good. And then there's one episode left. But each week, because they, it's a whole thing where, because it's Pennsylvania, they make a whole deal of drinking Rolling Rock. <laughs> I, I, is that like is Rolling Rock more popular in Pennsylvania? Well, it's a it's Pennsylvania c- company. I know, but it's a national brand. I know, but so like it's that and Yuling. Those are the two beers. That, oh, like, y- yep. But like every episode, it's now almost like a joke. They have to have the Rolling Rock in every episode, <laughs> and even <laughs> last night there was even a mention of "Gotcha, Rolling Rock." <laughs> Man, that's the best. And so now, like we 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 got ourselves a twelve pack of Rolling Rock, and each week we get out one Rolling Rock and we get it refrigerated and we drink it during the show, <laughs> and then we clink glasses whenever they bring out the Rolling Rock. And every single episode, without fail, has the Rolling Rock. So we can't wait for the final episode. That is hilarious. Yeah, and then again, like I said, the Euling, and I realized it's like if you were doing a Boston show, they would be like drinking Sam Adams. Yep, uh, and then they would uh, you got to have to like your appropriate amount of like t-shirts and and sweatshirts from local ca- you know areas. Right. Last night she wore an Ocean City sweatshirt, uh, which my friend actually from that they've really done it up on this show, trying to make it local, trying to give it local flavor. Oh yeah, it's supposed to be this like you know one of those small towns, right? And uh, it's a, it, like I said, it's a hoot. It's a hoot in that you can sit back and you don't get – sometimes these shows you get a little bit too nervous because it's just too intense what's right. going to happen. Eh, none of that in this. This is like a little bit more of a laid back character study, but there okay. are some elements. Um, and, but it just it's the balance that makes it totally enjoyable to watch. Interesting. Yeah, I've been I've been having a good time. Well, and just like I said, I've been so starving from stuff to watch. I know, and I got to tell people if I know you're starved for stuff to watch, all of us are. But that's no excuse uh, for watching Army of the Dead. So my son, my oldest, watched it. Now the first night we were watching it, and it was a really hot day. And my youngest, who had been out at recess and stuff, he got overheated, okay. and he was upstairs. And then we're about an hour into it. And he came down and he had gotten sick. Oh, um, man. He, yeah. So we had, yeah. I had, we had to stop. I had to go and clean it all up. Felt bad for the kid. Um, so we didn't pick it up till the next day. And there was still like, a, you know, 45 minutes left. And it was yeah. just like, oh, my God, this won't end. And, you know, it's like when that subplot took over, 
Oh, just unbearable. And then the guy throws the guy into the bank vault. And I'm like, well, why would you even do that? I'm like, they're not going to nuke the fridge on this one, right. are they? They're not going to go to Indiana Jones 4 on us, are they? Oh, they do. Yep. But then inexplicably, he's in there, right? He has to walk through all of that, the ash and stuff. So the guy right. would be totally, you know, in, irradiated. Yeah. But then, then he gets on this plane and then it's like, oh, uh, that whole sequel idea. There's no way he wouldn't have already turned into a zombie. Yes. It was stupid. It's incredibly, it's a very dumb movie. And and even worse is that just the end of the, it's like, oh man, that means I'm go- they're going to want to make a sequel of this? Like I hated the idea that anybody would want to have a sequel to this movie. I really hope there isn't, but it's Netflix. Do you know how much they spent on this thing? It was like $90 million, I think. Okay. Which which yeah. I think is a bar. I mean, and mind you, they had to spend several million dollars to, to uh, reinsert the new character. Well, and they spent a lot more than that on Six Underground. That was one of the most expensive films they ever made. Yeah. And some of that money is on the screen. Yeah. Boy, that movie. Like, I can't... I, I can't get my thoughts together to discuss. Okay. But let me just say that this Six Underground movie is is completely horrible in ways that you were not prepared me for. Yes. Well, I didn't even. I remember I told you just check out the first ten or fifteen minutes. I can't do that. Well, <laughs> I can't just. Go you check were out. so mad. At, you were so mad at me after the first ten or fifteen minutes that I I thought you wouldn't continue. But you couldn't. You couldn't help yourself. Well, no, because I have that exercise machine. I decided to watch it while I exercised, and since they have some big, like super, like big rocky rock type music on the soundtrack yes. every two minutes, that you know you could at least get through it and. uh I mean, that movie is so ridiculous. Oh, it's it's just insane. And there's no script. And it's smug and bad-natured. Yes. Oh, it, it is. Yeah, it, it's, it's bad-natured. You're absolutely right. And it's one thing that really shocked me about it was how much pleasure it takes in inflicting damage on human bodies. Well, so that was what I was saying about the bad-natured. It's this yeah. idea that, like, I guess Michael Bay is working with no restrictions from a um standpoint of uh a ratings board or something right and just was kind of like hey let's make the violence in this movie let's just make it so insanely violent yeah in a way that's just like you said bodies getting thrown and mangled in ways that you don't normally get to see on screen sliced up mangled squashed bent mutilated you name it and it's gory and uh, and and sometimes this is just like a character, uh, you know. A, 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 it's often side characters, but it's just like somebody who gets hit by a car, and they have to like have their head pop off. <laughs> yes, and uh, yeah, and then every every single character has to spew out some of the worst like Michael Bay type one-liners yes. ever. And you know, I wasn't. I'm not a person who's like that familiar with this guy's work, even though I've seen, unfortunately, several of his movies. But I remember how sort of struck I was when I saw the third Transformers movie, okay. when the dialogue was beyond one-note cartoon and how bad it was and how offensive right. and crude. And I'm like, wow, what an afterthought for these people that you're just making some stupid over-the-top cartoon movie so the dialogue can be just the worst. Right. And yet he continues that. <laughs> he continues. And, and, and I mean, it would be so easy, I think, to hire a couple of writers to, uh, it's not a fault in the writing. This is what he wants. Well, well so the, I was left with that movie going, okay, 
I now get it. Like Michael Bay, when he makes a movie like this, he actually thinks he's made a good movie. This to yes. him is what a good action movie is. Yes. This is this is like a movie that appeals to him. He actually mm-hmm. thinks, job well done. <laughs> it made me sad uh, for the stunt people. <laughs> I'm serious because some of the stunts in this movie are amazing. Some of the stunt work is really cool and the set pieces are really cool. And I know the amount of work that went in from engineers and stunt coordinators and carpenters and, you know, the huge amount of work goes into building and orchestrating these car chases or whatever they are. And then Michael Bay shoots it and he shoots it in the, in the most inane way possible that undermines any of it. And, and, and the stunts are incredible. Well, he shoots these scenes that you're like, well, you know what? I don't know how many directors could even direct like an action sequence like this. Cause there's so much going yeah. on, but at the same time, there's like zero, st- the Michael Bay style is zero style. It's zero style. And he, but he used to have, I was thinking about this, like Pearl Harbor had more style than this movie <laughs> and pearl harbor <laughs> pearl harbor in my opinion not is discuss pearl harbor <laughs> it's one of the best movies one of the best movies based on a comic book ever made that no we know you know how i feel about Pearl Harbor. That is when he thinks he's making a prestige movie. Yes, that's his prestige that's his, movie. Him, that and Armageddon are movies that he thinks are prestige films. Yes. But Six Underground was kind of like, okay, let's give Michael Bay $200 million and let him do whatever he wants. I wish that a different director was shooting that action because some of it's really cool. Though I will say, here's the, here's the genius about like hiring the Ryan, Ryan Reynolds. Right. He does get off a few lines. Yep. And he's a guy that I don't know what they paid him for this movie, but he basically said, I got a decent check here and I know this is a bag of shit. They paid me. I am going to give them what they asked for. Yeah. And I am not going to slack. Like, and he doesn't phone it in. He gives a full Ryan Reynolds performance in that movie. Yes, he does. And I don't know who any of the other characters are. Well, Melanie Laurent. I know, I know. She's in it, right? And then other people. I don't know. And then some other people. They kill Dave Franco off at the very beginning. Yes. Um, But see, there's there's an amazing thing. They spent weeks. They actually shoot on the streets of Florence, right? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. And yet it's so poorly done. Imagine going through all the, uh, coordinating all of that and then having it shot the way Michael Bay shoots it. Yeah, it's terrible because I've been, I, I've been to Florence and it was cool to see Florence actually being used, but then it was misused and abused. You said they spent a month shooting that scene? Yeah. Yeah. But some of the stunts are really cool. Then, I mean, then there's just like the sort of this bizarre right-wing patriotism into the movie. Um, That's, <laughs> this is why we have to devote an entire episode and do a watch party with this We're movie. We're doing a watch party on this because it, it really deserves it. The things that I want to say, I can only say as they're happening in the movie. Right, right. <laughs> Uh, okay, we'll do a watch party on that. Yeah, so that's that's that kids we got to look forward to. And then I don't know. I mean, I anything else? Have you watched anything? I haven't talked to you in, in many weeks. So. so I watched this Netflix movie called Stowaway. My wife watched it. Okay. Yeah, it's got your girlfriend in it. Uh, yes, I like Anna, Anna Kendrick. <laughs> I like Tony Collette. Oh, that's right, she's in it. And I like this uh, Daniel Day Kim guy from Lost. Oh yeah, he's in it. What'd your wife think? You know. That's a, I mean, I think she liked it for a while and then just thought it was whatever. Yeah. So it's really interesting. I saw none of it. 
Okay, so it's one of my favorite subgenres, as you know, which is why I took the time to watch this movie is because I like these trapped on a spaceship movies. So this movie, what it does is interesting. I think, I, I don't know if it totally worked for me, but it goes for realism, which you don't usually see in these movies. And so the interior of this spaceship is, looks like a spaceship more than any other movie I've seen. Got it. It actually looks like, you know, like when you see the videos from NASA, right? That's what a spaceship, that's what this looks like. It doesn't look like the spaceship in the George Clooney movie. Right. It, no, it does not look like it was done by an interior decorator. It looks like it was designed to be a spaceship. And then the big thing is there's a stowaway and they don't have enough oxygen to make it to Mars for four people. And so it's basically a procedural. So there's not all the big set piece kind of stuff that you usually get in these movies where like... I mean, yes, they do have to do a spacewalk, but but for the most part, it's played for realism and pretty subtle. There's not a lot of big drama. People have to make professional decisions and overcome emotion. And uh, so it, it works as a procedural and it's very realistic and and kind of subtle. There's the, the camera work is really uh unobtrusive, I guess is the way to put it. I didn't love the movie, but it did some things that I thought were kind of cool enough. So that I decided to watch the directors, one of the directors, other movies, Arctic with Mads Mikkelsen. Okay. And this also is one of my favorite subgenres is a survival movie. The combo of this two is the George Clooney movie. <laughs> it is actually the exactly. You could put them together. But again, this movie, the director's camera work is unobtrusive, really leaves a big frame for the actor to work in. And this is Mads Mikkelsen trapped in the Arctic. And it does something cool, which is. Uh, right at the beginning, a helicopter shows up and he thinks, ah, I'm saved. The movie starts with him already out in the Arctic and he's already surviving and like ice fishing. And so we don't see how he got there. And then, so this helicopter shows up and you think, oh, he's saved. And then, uh, the helicopter crashes and he goes and one of the people in the, there's were two people in the helicopter. One of them's dead and one of them is still alive, but basically unconscious. Was Tignatero the helicopter pilot? Yes. <laughs> So he has this this woman who's unconscious and he can't leave her to die and he has to walk over all this space to you know this huge area to get to the radio tower or something um and so he drags this woman with him and it's it's really kind of cool and powerful uh because he's doing everything to he can to survive himself but he's keeping her alive too it's really interesting just the decisions he has to make and again you know there's like six lines of dialogue in this movie and it's it, but mads mickelson is so good and what he can communicate on his face about surviving in this, these conditions is really pretty powerful from a performance uh, perspective so i wouldn't highly recommend this movie i think both these movies are good for subgenre completionist but I, you know, I, I enjoy survival movies, so I enjoyed it for that. Well, there you have it. Stowaway in Arctic. People look for them. And uh, yeah, I mean, I always, I'm always seeing stuff, but I really haven't seen many movies. Yeah, I really need to watch a couple of good movies this week because, man, after Army of the Dead, like, I just, I, I, it like kills my enthusiasm for watching movies. Well, you can watch Six Underground again. 
Well, we're doing that as a watch party. It might have to be the next thing. If we don't have any other movies, we might have to watch that. So we might have to, to do you, that. You, the listener, we can all watch together. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. We're doing that next. We should have my friend. I know a guy who actually has some affiliation with Michael Bay, and uh, we, we should try to tap him in and have him like do the watch party with it because he <laughs> likes Michael Bay. He, like, if you're looking at like who's the audience for it, it's this guy. He loves Michael Bay's movies. Well, I guess, uh, yeah, there is an audience there, I guess. Yep. Um, I'm just never going to say, you know, I, I could meet Michael Bay and shake his hand, but I don't think I could say I like your movies. <laughs> I have met Michael Bay and shaken his hand. You have? Yes. When you were casting? Yep. Wow. Yeah, because he would direct commercials. Oh, right. That's how he got his star, videos and yeah. commercials. Yeah. Holy crap. Did you say I like your commercials? <laughs> I didn't say, no, I didn't say anything. I <laughs> just, just said, hi, nice, nice to meet, meet you, you, sir. <laughs> yeah. I just said, nice to meet you. And that was that. But. <laughs> This, I was never in the room for this, but he uh, was known for like, you know, screaming at people in casting sessions. He's one of those guys like, uh, yeah. like, uh, you know, like all that stuff that's come out like about Scott Rudin, which everybody knew. Right. But now yeah. it's like finally being taken to task. I don't understand. I don't know why Hollywood's like that. I think it's this thing where you feel like this is the only way things get done if we yell. If we yell. Yeah. Everything's got to be high drama all the time. And yeah, Scott Rudin, kind of a jerk, turns out turns out but here's the funny thing is i think i had just gotten out of college and, and i was talked to some guy and he knew somebody who had worked for rudin and said like oh my god that guy scott rudin is crazy yeah and this is 92 93 people yeah. knew what kind of guy and it was always known like when swimming with sharks came out with the the spacey there everybody knew that it was scott rudin that they were talking about so i don't right. know why suddenly 30 years later <laughs> it's a big surprise I don't know. Anyways, stuff we've seen is the show. Teal and James are the guys. Yes. Uh, feedback at stuffweseen.com is the place where you can send your rants. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, stuffweseen.com is the, the website. All 105, six episodes are all there. Yep. Go check them out. Yeah. I had a dream the other night. Uh, I woke up actually in a dream thinking I was going to take our first episode and I was going to get the raw files and I was going to redo the episode uh, with the software that I use now and like get the sound exactly the way it should be and see what it sounded like and then re-release it as a throwback episode. Right. Yeah. You're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I know. I don't know why. That was a dream. It was just a dream I had when I was thinking about Michael Bay and 600 Ground. <laughs> Tuck me in, Michael Bay. Tell me a joke. All right. Oh, man. Tell me a joke, Michael Bay, <laughs> Tell me about, joke. you know, somebody gets their face exploded with a shotgun and the re main character's response is gross. Well, what we're going to do, we're going to get into every one liner <laughs> when we do this episode. We Maybe it'll, we're going to keep threatening it until we do it because that to me is the next watch party movie. Yes, absolutely. All right. So stay tuned for that, people. Stay tuned. All right. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you.